Hey everyone, welcome back to the NetSuite podcast. I'm your host, Kendall Fisher, and I am so thrilled to say that I am back with our business and finance editor, Megan O'Brien, for another Office of the CFO episode. Hi, Megan. Hi, Kendall. Thank you so much for having me on again. It's good to be back. We've had a couple of exciting episodes together with some guests that have inspired me to really up my business game. And today's guest looks no different. That is true. We are actually chatting with three-time CFO, Chris Caprio, who is currently the CFO of Focus Technology and co-chair of the CFO Leadership Council for the Boston chapter. That's right. We're gonna dive into his career journey, his previous roles, the industries he's worked in, as well as the metrics that matter most to him as CFO and the way he's handled and continues to handle economic volatility and the things he's thinking about right now. Yes, he'll dive into the importance of looking at the macro, how technology like NetSuite plays a major role in his strategic planning and decision-making and why putting people first has been at the core of his success. I'm excited to dive in, Megan, so let's not wait another second. Our interview with Chris Caprio is coming up right after this. You're listening to the NetSuite Podcast, where we discuss what's happening within NetSuite, why we're doing it, and where we're heading in the future. We'll dive into the details about the software and the people at NetSuite who are behind all the moving parts. We'll also feature customer growth stories, discussing the ups and downs of running a company, and how one integrated system can help your business continue to scale. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Now, I want to kick things off with a fun way to start. What's an interesting fact about yourself that you can share with the audience? I have two dogs at home. Uh, I have a husky and a golden retriever. And then I also have three daughters who are all teenage daughters right now. So my house is a little crazy. Oh, wow. <laughs> that, that's fun. That's fun, though. I have, a, I have a golden doodle myself. And Megan, don't you have a golden retriever or is it a lab? He's a golden retriever. Yeah. Look at that. A lot of energy. A lot of energy. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, Okay, Chris. So I want to dive right in here. You've been in finance for the better part of um, two decades. Did you always know you wanted to get into finance? And if if so, why? Yeah, I think I did. I, I, my dad was in finance and just having him, you know, around the house, you know, back before laptops used to bring work home with them. And I always had an interest in Um, what was going on. He always had, you know, the equivalent of reports and spreadsheets, you know, printed out with numbers on them. And, you know, I always used to ask him questions. He used to have papers piled high. Certainly, uh, you know, love to kill trees back in the day. And, you know, (laughs) just being being around him and and learning a lot and ended up in high school, um, going to work with him, helping him out a few times with, you know, payroll and invoicing. So, you know, it led me to to why I went to college and, and kind of had a, a belief that that's where I would end up. Well, speaking of college, you studied accounting at Providence College, and then you got an MSA in accounting from Bentley University. Can you explain what's the difference between an MBA and an MSA? It was a lot cheaper. <laughs> I appreciate uh, that. I appreciate so that right, response. <laughs> yeah, right when I came out of school, um, Massachusetts uh, changed the ruling where if you did want to sit for the CPA, you needed at least 30 credit hours and you can attain that by getting an MSA. 
versus an MBA, which is 40 or more credits. So it was less credits. Of course, I got my master's. I did not go on to get my CPA, but um, those are the two reasons why I, I decided to do that. And in talking to finance executives or budding ones, do you tell them to go this route? Why or why not? Certainly anybody I talk to that is either in school or recently out of school, I would absolutely, you know, if, if it works monetarily and, and, you know, they're able to do it, I did it nights and weekends. Um, but I do believe, you know, in a master's degree, not just from the perspective of, um, you know, it, it improves your resume. But I think, you know, I, I was 18, 19, 20 when I was in college. It was just school to me. I, I didn't take it as seriously as I probably should have. But taking a couple of years off, going back and getting my master's degree, it is really geared towards life after college, you know, business scenarios, projects, presentations, um, really, you know, industry based professors are, are typically from industry. So it, it definitely helped get me prepared for management leadership roles and um, board meetings, presentations to large groups, things like that. I, I think it extremely helped me out in my career for sure. You know, we've asked that question several times in on this series, and that is a really great way. No one has articulated it like that. I think that's a great way to put it, put it. So I, I appreciate that. Um, and speaking of your kind of journey into financial leadership roles, um, this episode is part of a series called office of the CFO, where we really dive into how CFOs got into their roles. So now that we've heard a bit about your educational background, let's dive into your career history. Briefly, I know we could talk probably for forever about this, but briefly, what roles led you to taking on your first CFO title? Yeah, I was working for, for a public software company right at the tech bust in 0102. And it, it was a situation when I started, I was only there about 18 months. And I was in a department of like 15 people. Our stock was in the, you know, I don't know, 250, 300 a share or something like that. And everything went downhill. And I know it sounds crazy, but the fortunate thing is I didn't get laid off. We had four or five rounds of layoffs, and I ended up with three or four people left in the department from 15. And of course, I took on more workload, but you know, I was probably 24, 25 at the time and just did so much for a public company. I think that helped, you know, many people can do things for different companies, but you know, getting involved in 10K, 10Qs, and, and also payroll and, and all aspects of the close. I think in, in such a short period of time, I think it led me to move on and, and get a controller role probably earlier than I normally would have. And I think that certainly helped me springboard into a, my first CFO role in about 2010. So in the companies you've worked for prior to your current role, um, did you focus in any particular industry or have roles like in a variety of variety of industries and, and what, um, impact would you say that that had? Like, did you stick to kind of tech? No, I think the fortunate thing is I've been all over the place. I've worked in, you know, tech, I've worked in energy, um, I've done engineering companies, um, you know, B2B, B2C um, roles and was able to move around And the same. It goes for, you know, I've worked for a startup. I've worked for a public company in the U.S. I've worked for a public company in France. I mean, I was based here, but it was a French public company. 
I've worked for private equity. I've worked for a private company, you know, individual owners. And I think, you know, for me, certainly I'm sure people have had success staying in healthcare or, or staying for large public companies. But for me, where I am today, having those various roles in different industries, you know, you get to see things differently. You deal with different people, um, you know, internationally, nationally. I've worked for, in, you know, like I said, international companies. I've worked for companies that, you know, I never left 60 miles around me um, mm -hmm. here in the Boston area. So I think mm -hmm. just having that diverse background over the last 20 plus years has definitely helped me. Do you think it's different for people now? Like, what would you recommend for someone who aspires to be a CFO who's early in their career today? I mean, certainly my, my belief would be my route would be more difficult today. <laughs> I think, <laughs> you know, access to data, you know, LinkedIn profiles and mm -hmm. reading your resumes and seeing that, um, you know, companies may have an affinity that, well, I want to hire somebody that has healthcare experience or tech experience or a startup experience, and then, you know, maybe able to grow faster to get to that CFO level. So my thoughts would be, it would be easier to, to stay in a single industry or a single type of company because you never have to, you know, relearn that aspect of the company. Um, but I, I wouldn't trade anything. I'm, I'm glad I did what I did. And, and I think it allows me to really apply for and do any type of job in any type of industry that I want to do. So early in your, your career, you mentioned that you became a controller. Briefly, can you explain what that role entails and what skills do you need to be successful in it? Yeah, I think definitely controller to me is, is more, you know, accounting focused, you know, understanding gap, understanding, you know, your monthly close and processes around that, how to speed up the close, um, how to, you know, definitely the first um, experience I had with, you know, really being at the foresight of management. Uh, whether it's a board, whether it's the management team, um, you know, they're looking for your data and, and everybody knows the controller to me is the one responsible for the month end close. So what are the, you know, how did we do? What are we forecasting to do over the next period of, of months? And I think those skill sets um, at, at, from a technical perspective and then from a soft skills perspective, you know, patience. Um, you know, as much as I always had my monthly close checklist and, you know, engineers are going to get their timesheets in by this date, project managers are going to approve invoices and I'm going to close fixed assets and the AP person is going to close AP as much as we had that, you know, over the course of a year, you very rarely hit the same date, certainly at small and middle market businesses. So being able to adjust and pull levers to make sure the end result, let's say a six day close or eight day close, whatever it is, that's still attained, but making sure you, you know, you're flexible in where is the control you need to dive in. Maybe some months I had to help AP out. Other months I had to help with GL, you know, fixed asset entries or revenue entries. You're kind of moving around and you really got to learn it all uh, in order to manage it all. So how did your role as controller help you step into a CFO position? You know, certainly as a CFO, you know, uh, cash is king, I think, and, and learning some of that early on from a controller, understanding the financials and the balance sheet of that organization, you know, you really don't have to worry about that, learning that. You, you already know that as moving up from a controller to a CFO. Um, so it certainly, you know, helped in that regard. And then also, you know, as a controller, I always, maybe I was fortunate, but I always got pulled into meetings with the CFO with management, the CEO, you know, to review, all right, show me last month's results, show me next month's forecast. So 
you know, being able to be prepared to answer tough questions because, you know, why did this account go up or down? Why did that account, you know, change so dramatically? You know, being able to do that analysis to present to, to a board or to a management team, you know, definitely helped prepare me for what's expected of a CFO. Well, now that you've held CFO roles for over a decade, you've worked hand in hand with controllers. How have you witnessed the role of the controller change? I think like anything in, in finance. So certainly, you know, my thoughts and growing up a controller is around, like I said, the, the close and cash forecasting. But I think now, you know, a lot of companies don't, certainly small ones, don't have separate financial you know, planning or financial analysis departments, finance departments. So I, I think at least certainly my controller here and, and what I was expected to do, um, branch out into that analytics side, not just close the books, but take the next step of, you know, why did we miss budget or make budget? You know, what are some of the levers we can pull to, because our forecast revenue is going to be higher or lower. Um, so I think it helps. They've become a lot more, um, accepted and, and looked to for that analysis side and that detailed reporting side that maybe, you know, a lot of companies in the past had completely separate departments. So you were, you were in your controller um, role at Altran through the 2008-2009 recession and then moved into the CFO role pretty quickly thereafter. Um, what advice can you share from that for finance leaders right now? I think for the first time that I can remember in my career, I started paying attention to macro. You know, I think I was too young, probably in 01, 02 in my career to understand the tech bubble and what was going on, the impact of a lot of that. So I, I just didn't, you know, know any better, but certainly 08, 09, um, not just the impact of those, you know, the macro economic situation on my company, but just in general, you know, what does it mean to raise and lower interest rates from the Fed? And what does it mean for other decisions that may cause inflation or may cause, you know, global versus domestic versus regional? You know, um, I, I think I started paying attention and feel I've continued to do that, um, which I think helped with COVID and through the last couple of years. But I think being able to look beyond your company and say, okay, you know, for the better part of the first eight or nine years of my career, I only looked at, well, here's my company. Do we miss revenue? Do we make revenue? Are we selling to customers? You know, all those type of metrics where here's a situation in 08, at least, you know, the first time in my mature part of my career, that is nothing I could have done. I mean, there's this global economic downturn going on and nothing that myself and my team did to impact that but we have to react to it. We have to continue as a business. We had to, you know, unfortunately make some layoffs. We had to decide, you know, what decisions we wanted to make. And I think for the first time, okay, well, let me look at this macro environment, read up on it, listen to things like Bloomberg, read the Wall Street Journal, things that I normally, you know, didn't do before that, that I felt I had to now do because I, I realized for the first time, all these things impact my business. And I never really thought about that. When you're talking about some of these decisions you made, what do you feel you got right during that time? We, we valued people. We were in a services business, all trans and engineering services company, and we did whatever we could to keep as many good people as we can. And we had yeah. to certainly, like I said, we had to get rid of some, but we made 
whatever decisions we could make in the office space, travel, uh, anything, any other areas, even benefits to some extent that we could um, to keep, even if it was two or three people that we made some of these decisions and felt, you know, we couldn't cut that core. And I think it helped us in 2010, 2011, when the economy started turning around, we had, we showed loyalty to these resources. And then when work picked up and, and we needed those resources, um, it was much easier to get back into some of those business lines and grow that business uh, because we were able to keep those extra few resources here or there. So I think, you know, that was a, a decision we made as a management team and it definitely helped us out as we grew out of the economic downturn. Well, and I think that it, it comes full circle to 2020 when, when people thought we were going into a recession, recession and made major cuts, um, and then struggled during, you know, the, the workforce shortage, um, following thereafter. So it's interesting to hear that some of the, some of the, you know, best CFOs we've talked to have said the same thing, you know, people, we put our people first and that was in the end, that was super beneficial. So interesting to hear that come full circle. Um, going back there really quick before we, we are going to dive into some of the decisions you've made over the past couple of years, but going back to that time, um, what like process data technology, what was critical in navigating that climate, being able to make the decisions to, you know, keep your people and, and, um, cut costs elsewhere. I think it was, it was really around recruiting. So, I think what we did, I had this recruiting team and same, you know, with all departments, we tried to keep um, as many people as we could in all areas. So yes, clearly we weren't hiring a bunch of people, um, but we kept enough recruiters that we knew, all right, you know, eight, 10, whatever percent of people were getting laid off. And certainly that was happening in our industry. Let's be, let's start that database of candidates. We feel confident at some point um, this economic downturn is going to turn around and we're going to have to hire people. Let's be ahead of it. Who got laid off? What skill sets they have and build our database of resumes by not just doing reactive recruiting by, you know, putting a job posting out there, but doing proactive recruiting, looking at, you know, whether it's LinkedIn, which is coming pretty popular then, or, or some other tools that are out there, even regional networking events and, and networking groups that were in the engineering space to get our recruiters out there and certainly managers as well and just make connections and, and try and be ready to have that um, pipeline of, of candidates available when projects did come up. And, and we were fortunate in that area that we were dealing internationally. It was an international company. So, you know, Europe got into economic decline a little after the U.S. and it lasted longer and the U.S. got back. So we were able to shift some resources around by going through that process and having um, some global opportunities for people. But I think we, we did a good job with keeping our recruiters talking with candidates, even if we really didn't have a position available at that moment. And as Kendall mentioned, you then took on the CFO role at Altran in 2010. What were kind of the key differences between the CFO and the controller role? Definitely on the strategic side. I mean, you know, as a controller, it was all around, you know, the reporting and the accurate reporting and timely reporting and the close and managing to that. And I think, you know, as I got promoted, so did my assistant controller who became controller. So that certainly helped, um, but he was ready and, and he took on a lot of that. So I didn't have to worry about that. So I, uh, I got into more 
um, you know, talking more with other members of the management team, what they needed, process changes that may, maybe we want to put in place, um, dealing with other departments, talk, going out to the field. And I was able, we had offices throughout the country and was able to travel and go to those offices and meet with those people. So I think that gave me a better affinity for what we truly did as a business at the detail, you know, individual level, um, understanding, meeting with some customers just to learn the business better. And I think that's what um, I was able to, to do early on in my CFO career. And I think that stayed with me um, through today. So it's interesting you say that when we're talking strategy, what KPIs or metrics are most important as a CFO that maybe differ from a controller? Because that sometimes it's hard to track some of some of the stuff you're doing at a higher level, like when you're meeting with these customers and stuff like that. Yeah, it's certainly, you know, as a general statement, it's, it's different by industry, no doubt, but there are definitely some that at least through my career have, have stayed um, in, in some around collections, DSO, you know, we need, if we're invoicing customers, whether they're, you know, I've worked in B2B or B2C, you know, we're getting paid timely. That's that's huge, and that that's not going to change. So, making sure you track metrics around that, um, you know, what we're burning or, or what's our cash forecasting. Um, so now I'm collecting this cash. What am I projecting? Sixty days, 120 days, two years out um, from a cash flow perspective. And another big one around debt covenants. So again, most of the companies I've worked at, we've had some sort of debt covenant arrangement with a bank or with a third party. Um, so those are huge, making sure any decisions we make that are large in nature um, doesn't impact those covenants that, that are really the lifeline for the debt we have outstanding or potentially future debt we need um, to go out and acquire companies or, or make investments. And then certainly there's tons below that that start to get industry-based, whether you're a services company or product company or inventory company that, you know, will change from job to job. What are some of the KPIs that you've clung to throughout your career that maybe are less known or paid attention to, but are still really important? I've always had a lot around people. So, you know, certainly as a CFO or controller, you're always looking at KPIs around the financial metrics of the business. But I've always brought with me um, from a people perspective, meaning, you know, what's our staff size? What was it that we planned on from a budget perspective for staff size? And what is it actual throughout the year? Um, what are our recruiting methods? Where are we finding our people? So all my recruiters always track, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's employee referral, we get customer referrals and there's many different ways um, that we hire people, what method we use. So just tracking that to make sure we're getting good ROI on those tools. And then the general cost per hire. So I'm taking all my tools, all my recruiters, and, and what does it cost me to go find people? So I know, you know, next year, if I'm going to hire 10 people, what it's going to cost me to hire those 10 people. So I've always kept that. And to me, in any business that's, you know, at least expecting to grow, um, that can carry forward, regardless of what your P&L looks like. And through all of this, how has technology made your job and the job of the CFO in general easier or harder and what specific ways? Um, I hope the answers for most would be easier, but I understand the harder because more of it, more is expected. Um, there's more data, 
more access to data. So that's certainly a good thing if used properly, um, but harder in, you know, I don't know, like when you answer, I don't know, meaning we haven't even pulled that data yet, or I don't know where to get that data in the short term. You kind of looked at like, why, why don't we have that data? So I guess at times, you know, from a board perspective, it can be harder, but, but I would definitely say easier, um, less in Excel, more running reports, more looking at dashboards to be able to, you know, where back in, you know, I remember early in my career, for the most part, if you wanted anything, you were using Excel, you were creating formulas and it, you know, it took whether it's a half hour, an hour, a day, two days, whatever. Now you're eliminating a lot of that, much of that. And you just hit a button and as long <laughs> as you set up your dashboard correctly, I get the information. Now it's a matter of how good am I and how quick can I be to make decisions around those. Mm. So, yeah, let's, let's come full circle to today. Um, tell us a bit about your company now. What does your company do? So yeah, Focus Technology, we're in the uh, IT consulting, managed services and equipment reselling space. Um, we help um, any company, you know, small, medium, large with their either fully outsourced IT or co-sourcing their IT, um, do a lot around cybersecurity, do a lot around cloud, um, do a lot around, you know, AWS, Azure environments, hardware, Dell and Cisco environments and have a lot of great engineers that can design and, and help customers um, utilize this technology uh, moving forward. Now, just hearing the description of the company, I can't help but think how crazy that must be, especially right now, just because there's such rapid advancements in technology. You've had people and companies go remote. You have all these concerns over cybersecurity that have really been proliferating. What are the unique challenges that you face uh, in general and also specifically kind of today? Yeah, I mean, you said, I mean, number one, number two, and number three seems to be cybersecurity for sure. Not because not just from an internal perspective, which myself and our management team is responsible for maintaining the cybersecurity profile and you know, mitigating risk for focused technology, but there are, you know, 250 plus customers that either we directly or indirectly um, support them in their overall technology, which includes cybersecurity. So where you know, many of them are looking to us to determine what should they do? <laughs> you know, they don't have any, or they have limited internal IT knowledge. Um, so they're looking at you know, us to, to help them walk to their CEO, walk to their board and answer the question, you know, are we doing all we can to mitigate risk from a cyber perspective? And that's, you know, our goal. And that's definitely a big part of what we do really the last, you know, five years, but, but certainly in the last 12 to 24 months, it's what all we see customers want to talk about and at least start with before we get into any of the, you know, technology improvements we can make to help them with their business. It starts with how do I secure my environment? And how are you overcoming some of these challenges? Uh, I, I have to imagine, uh, especially considering all the emphasis on cybersecurity and the fact that attacks are coming from new, more sophisticated sources. Can you, can you delve into that a little? Yeah. I mean, we're what I would call a small business. So, I mean, we have to rely on not only uh, a good chunk of our budget to hire the right people, 
but also our partners and, and our vendors that we use um, because we're using their technology as well. I mean, we're mainly just a services company. So we're, use, we're our engineers are going out and looking at um, different tools and services and software that's out in the market to figure out for different industries, what's the best way to, to help mitigate their risks. So, I mean, we have to rely on them, but we have to stay on top of them to make sure um, we're getting information. If, you know, there's an incident that, that goes on with them, you know, we can't just wait till stuff becomes public. We need to be close enough with our vendors that, you know, they're informing us much earlier than anybody in the public knows so we can identify what impact that would have on our business. How did six out of the top seven best performing tech stocks gain visibility and control over financials, inventory, planning, and budgeting with NetSuite by Oracle? Answers at netsuite.com slash code, netsuite.com slash code. So kind of understanding what the company does now, um, what does a typical day in your shoes look like? How do you fit into this whole ecosystem? <laughs> yeah, I, I wish there was a typical day. I guess that's why I like my job so much because <laughs> it really isn't. Yeah. Um, you know, again, being a CFO of a small business, um, you know, I oversee our finance and accounting team, obviously, but I also oversee HR and recruiting, um, let's say our legal strategy, overall strategy, um, you know, our, our investments and our, uh, you know, working with our bank and things like that. So it's really month to month as far as, you know, reviewing with the team, what needs to be done, but also understanding what our strategy is, what our goals are and how we're, you know, moving towards them. Um, I would say, you know, my kids see me on a lot of calls when they were doing remote schooling. So, yeah. you know, I guess a day in the life is spending probably half the day, at least on um, calls with different departments or different vendors, um, just getting updates or providing them updates with what's going on. Um, and the rest of the day is looking at ways that, you know, whether it's our, you know, simple as our benefits to our P&L, to our customer base, you know, how we can grow and improve and, and continue to, to be looked at as an important vendor for our customers and an important employer for, for employees that we have and certainly ones we're looking to recruit. So when you're kind of looking, I know it's not, it changes, but when you look at the typical fun functions of the CFO, how much of your time, let's say in percentages, would you say you spend on core accounting and finance versus management and leadership tasks versus strategic projects? I would say, you know, 10, 15% at most is on the traditional, you know, accounting and finance. Um, you know, that's really left up to my controller and her team. Mm -hmm. um, and then of the rest, you know, certainly majority uh, around strategy, um, probably, you know, 60% around strategy. Now it could be, you know, again, high level strategy on, you know, direction of the company, or it could be just mm -hmm. simply reviewing our, whether it's our insurance, um, property and casualty or benefit insurance, things like that. But, you know, what's in the market and how we can better um, utilize those. And then the other 30, 35% on, you know, management and leadership, both, you know, with my team, but I'm also responsible for, you know, other employees of the company, making sure their managers and leaders being 
you know, oversight of, of HR and, and our, our newly rolled out career path that we have, um, getting those employees um, to understand where they fit in, what direction they want to go in. So helping them as they develop within their careers. It's amazing that you're able to fit that in with everything else. That's a sign of a great leader. Um, how, how has this changed over the past, let's call it two and a half years amid the pandemic? I mean, has it always been like 10 to 15% and then majority strategy, 30, 35% on leadership, or has that shifted um, over the last couple of years? I think it's shifted and then now it's shifted back. So I would say oh. that was a pretty good breakdown pre-COVID. And I think yeah. it's now back to that, but absolutely, um, you know, at least in the first 12 months, you know, in 2020 or so, it definitely shifted to less strategic because it didn't, you know, who, who could think about five years down the road or three right. years down the road. So that probably dropped to five or 10%. Um, the accounting side probably stayed, although I did get a lot of, you know, was involved a lot in the PPP process. And I would say that you know, dealt with a lot of, you know, day-to-day accounting type things, but definitely the most, the biggest part was in the management, management and leadership, you know, let, giving our employees the confidence that we were, uh, you know, we're in IT, we were sending people out to, to offices every week, you know, so how are we making sure they're safe? How are we watching out for them? How are we informing them if, if there was, uh, you know, a case that came up, albeit through them, and informing the right employees that we had to, or the customer. We had a couple of cases where we went to a data center and the customer sent a, 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 somebody that later tested positive. So it was just managing that process, which I'm sure many people did. Um, and then just, you know, certainly give our employees the confidence that, hey, you know, I know it's a tough environment, what's going on. You see a lot of companies closing or, or having to, to make decisions that are difficult with their employee base, um, making them feel confident that, look, we've prepared for this. We have, you know, uh, sufficient funds to continue to, to operate as an organization. And we're confident that, you know, we're going to monitor the, the economic and environmental situation around us, but we're in a good spot. We, we feel we've made the right decisions and just left an open door, you know? Um, so that, that year or so, after March 2020, it was definitely a shift, but I think certainly, um, you know, definitely middle end of 2021 and, and absolutely now it's kind of back to, um, you know, what we were hoping to do in 2019 heading into 2020. And how, and how do you think your role is going to continue to evolve? Obviously, we're mm-hmm. looking at some uncertain times ahead and, um, and uh, preparing for that. So where do you see your role going from here? I mean, I think that the time from an accounting finance perspective will continue to decline. Even at, at my controller level and, and below, we continue to look at ways to automate um, our processes around accounts payable, accounts receivable, invoicing, collections, payment applications, things like that. So I think as that more automates, we're going to get even more data. Um, I would say still sticking to what we feel is important um, to look at with that data and understand that some of it is just great. We're, we're, we're faster in doing something, but we don't need to make strategic decisions around everything. We need to you know, continue to focus on what's important to us. And now hopefully we have a little bit more time because we're doing less processing and more analyzing. I, I love that you've talked a lot about how you do rely on your controller and that's some 
pretty heavily. And that's something that we've heard from a lot of CFOs. And that's also something we've heard that that's what's shifted a bit more. CFOs are relying more on their controllers today than, than let's say, you know, 10 to 15 years ago, Mm -hmm. um, to focus more on strategy, but what part of your job can't be delegated, like, and has to be done by you. And it can be specific to your company. Yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, uh, I, I think there, there are certainly things that currently I am only doing now, but I'm sure with time and training, uh, other people could do it, but definitely around our banking relationship and our metrics, as far as covenants, again, I have confidence my team could do it. It just happens to be something that on a week to week basis I'm dealing with, um, because, you know, we've done some acquisitions, we want to continue to do some acquisitions. So um, having access to capital and knowing what level of access we have to capital to, you know, what price we can pay for, for a target. Um, so I think all around our, our covenant compliance and our banking relationships is definitely the biggest area that, you know, really today pretty much only I deal with. Well, so bringing it back to, to today, what are your top priorities right now? <laughs> Probably everything everybody's hearing, but yeah. for the business we're in, I mean, supply chain, chip shortages is significantly impacting our business. And then, you know, certainly uh, we've been fortunate enough to grow. We've grown about 25, 30% headcount during COVID. Um, so finding that talent. So on the chip shortage side and the supply chain side, I mean, we're a reseller of equipment. Um, going back a couple of years, you know, we'd order something from someone like a Dell or a Cisco. They'd give us a three-week, two-week, four-week, whatever it was. They were within a couple of days. We could plan our engineers around it, being on site, migrating data, or, you know, all that goes into depending on what type of equipment it is. Now, we get a date, it's going to be probably three to six months out and it's a moving target. It, it could miss by months. You know, they could tell us four months and it would take six. They could tell us six months and it takes three. Just the whole, you know, uncertainty around that makes managing the business difficult because we could place a few orders, think we need to hire a few people, but that's based on a timing of delivery that may not be even within the same month or quarter. Um, so that's definitely been the most challenging. It's kind of all related in that supply chain hiring side, but that's without a doubt the most challenging thing, which makes forecasting difficult. Um, and, and again, going back to covenants, um, you know, if something ships in June and we thought it was going to ship in April, you know, you're looking at two months delay in a revenue and it could be a material deal. I think supply chain issues has become like a, a party topic at this point. Every time I'm talking to someone, somehow I'm like, oh, you know, supply chain issues. I, I get in a fight with my boyfriend and I'm like, oh, supply chain. Yeah. <laughs> so many businesses right now, they're focused on bottom line improvement, automation and efficiency. As a services business, does the same go for you? And how do you prepare for economic volatility? Yeah, I mean, certainly automation is big. Um, you know, we're looking at continuous ways from, you know, around accounting specifically, but also within our managed services practice, how we handle tickets and how we monitor our customers' environments, how we can automate that, um, whether it's full automation or even moving to chat, 
um, various different things we're, we're doing and, and continuously looking at um, to help make the, the lower level jobs um, quicker, simpler, more accurate, um, and certainly automated. And that's you know a big part of our focus in what we're doing today. It's difficult. I, I think you know we've tried to take the worst case scenario um, situation when it comes to volatility, whether it's in our directly in our business or in a macro environment. Um, the most conservative, a very conservative approach, I would say, maybe not the most conservative, but definitely very conservative. It may, you know, short-term impact uh, growth in a specific area, but I think, you know, we're looking at the business as a whole. We're confident in our growth. We have a lot of, um, you know, we're fortunate that the business is heavy backlog-based, meaning contracts signed months, weeks in advance that we're going to go out and perform. So I don't have a ton of immediate reaction that, that has to happen. Um, so we monitor that volatility of contracts used to take three months to sign, maybe it's taken four or five now. So it may slow down the process a little bit. Um, but again, we're, we're in a fortunate enough situation that we have a lot of visibility into our next quarter, we'll say. Um, and, and that is limitedly impacted by a volatile environment, but certainly looking out further than a quarter, absolutely, um, you know, we continue to monitor that on a rolling 90 day basis, but it, it's not easy for sure. Yeah. It's just a, it's just a simple question. How are you predicting the future? Right? <laughs> what crystal yeah, ball are very, you using? Yeah. Simple. Well, see, it's very simple because that used to mean three to five years and now we're going two to three months. So yeah. I would say yeah. that's a big change. You know, we're, we're having our three to five year forecast for sure. But, you know, to that question, I, I'm joking, but certainly the window isn't as long as it used to be. I mean, you know, Obviously, no one knew COVID was going to happen. Certainly, you mentioned earlier, no one knew COVID was going to have as little short-term impact on certain industries as it did. I mean, certainly some industries got crushed, but certainly tech had you know, tremendous success. And now, obviously, the last three to six months with the, the macro environment, um, a lot of that's getting pulled back in. So um, our, our concerns are... are definitely much more three, six, nine month focused and not as much, you know, three to five year focused. Well, so quicker, more accurate, more efficient, the business case for automation, it's pretty easy to state, right? But the implementation of it can sometimes be a little bit harder. So how are you implementing automation at your company? No, definitely. Um, obviously we use NetSuite and, and it's, it's a good and bad thing. Um, the, the, the bad thing is it's so popular and so great, um, which leads to the good thing that so many vendors want to you know, integrate with your tool. So it definitely gives us tremendous opportunity. There's almost no automation that doesn't interact you know, fully with NetSuite. Um, and, and we're just going you know, for us. You know, we started uh, right around before COVID, but luckily right at the beginning, with, you know, we used to write a lot of checks and implemented a, a tool that automates AP where I may cut, you know, three to five checks a year. I mean, really significantly dropped the amount of checks we cut. And just going online, we went to collections. We knew, um, you know, collecting payments from customers through COVID would, would be an issue. 
So we implemented an automated um, process around collections. Now we're looking at you know, payment application and forecasting, where both of those are done either manual or in Excel. Um, and those are the next steps. We're just trying to go, you know, we're in a fortunate situation that we're growing as a company, um, our, our top line, our bottom line. So we have um, an ability to invest in, in certain things. And we continue to look at um, ways around accounting. And then also our managed services division, like I mentioned, around um, you know, tools we're utilizing to, to monitor and manage our customers' environment. How can we automate those? You know, how can we automate password changes? We get a lot of tickets around, you know, I forgot my password, it, it locked me out. Um, you know, trying to get to a point, and we have it now where you know a lot of that can be automated as long as the person you know uses MFA to identify themselves. Um, they can update that password without having a focus employee um, getting in the middle for most of the cases. Certainly sometimes we have to, but um, it was zero before and now it may be you know less than 25%. Well, you made the segue easy by mentioning NetSuite. Um, so with 60% of your role being strategy, how are you using NetSuite to make those dis- strategic decisions right now? Oh, it's, you know, especially looking at what we had, I mean, you know, there was um, the tools we had prior, the accounting tools were, you know, at best on a monthly basis, uh, you'd get access to data, um, customer data, um, P&L data, forecasting, et cetera. I mean, NetSuite has allowed us to get just about every area of our business. We use it for CRM, so our sales team is in there. So I can see when, what deals are there and what dates they expect them to close, which, you know, like I said earlier, can typically lead to when that revenue is gonna be done, whether it's services or hardware shipping. Um, our, obviously, accounting and finance team is in there. We also use the connected um, project management tools. So all of our project managers and engineers are in there putting in new projects, invoicing our customers, what milestones we've attained, obviously timesheets. So where we are from a percent complete basis on those projects. So, I mean, you know, where our last system was so isolated, you know, a couple of us in accounting would be all that touched the system on a day-to-day basis. We have percent, maybe 75% of our employees touching NetSuite on a day-to-day, hour-to-hour basis that's giving us such timely information. And really, you know, it's been great for us. It's been about three years since we implemented it and it's completely changed our ability. I don't know what we would have done during COVID, honestly, without the the access to the information that we had. Can you give like any specific example of the impact that information made for your business? Like something, maybe a way that you pivoted quickly amid COVID or something like that? From our project perspective, so, you know, in the past, uh, we would have to wait till month end and people would submit timesheets and then we would take another couple of weeks to accumulate all that data, invoice our customers and, you know, be able to, you know, obviously collect on those invoices. I think the biggest thing is the, the ability to send invoices basically daily. You know, we typically before this sent some invoices during the month, but most of them were sent at month end. Now, as soon as a milestone's reached, the project manager, boom, clicks a button, says we hit the milestone, we run a process and that invoice through the automated collection processes in the customer's hands 
an hour after we attain the milestone possibly or the next morning or whatever so you know most customers pay on 30 days so that 30 days starts so much sooner um, so that's definitely been one of the one area and the other one is the integration of our sales you know opportunity tracking to um, you know the rest of our business so before we had a separate unintegrated non-integrated sales system you know, sales reps put in their opportunities when they thought they were to close the revenue and GP on those opportunities. And, and it wasn't tied in. So we have to run that match that against different reports, um, you know, implement or, or set up invoices manually because there was no integration. Again, now being able to see that sales data, you know, tell them, look, we're going to be you know, looking at this at two o'clock today, make sure it's updated and, and they're constantly updating it. So it's just been great. That's awesome. Um, you know, that kind of brings me to how do you track success in your CFO role? Um, and how is that suite helping with this? It's weird, but I would say maybe it's not weird. I don't know, but um, our employees, you know, I look at our turnover rate. Um, I look at um, you know, we do some surveying. There's some third parties that, that give away um, awards, including um, Boston Business Journal does best places to work. We've won it three years in a row. Um, that to me, you know, obviously you need, you need to have a successful business. You need to have cash to run a business, things like that. But at the end of the day, you know, if we have intelligent employees who feel empowered and like to work here, um, say publicly to these third-party, you know, survey surveys that they enjoy working here, refer their friends and family and other, you know, contacts in their network to come work here, which we, you know, like I said earlier, we track where people come from and a significant percentage of them come from employee referrals. Um, that to me says, you know, we're running a successful company and, you know, us as a management team are, you know, aren't doing everything perfect, but they're making some good choices that people want to work here. And obviously we monitor the results of the business. So, you know, we can see that that's easy to look at, um, but having good results and having, um, I would say, motivated and satisfied and, and great people to work with, um, you know, I, I think is, is what I'm looking for in the end. I'm sensing a theme here, Chris. You mentioned this when you worked at Altran going through the 2008-2009 recession. Um, you, you mentioned that you really focused on people and that that's been a KPI that you've tracked consistently throughout your career. And now here at Focus, you've you've mentioned it again. Um, so I'm curious, I know this is a Chris thing for sure, but is this type of, you know, is this a shared vision of how success is measured across across the company? Is it beyond you? Is this kind of how it goes for the entire organization? Yeah, it's it's definitely built into our values. Every, I mean, I it's funny. I had two new hires start this morning. We go through a presentation with each of those, and it has our company values on there. And and there are a lot around you know helping community service, always doing the right thing, um, flexible and collaborative uh, individuals. Um, so we we are very people oriented, especially in a service industry where you know I'm not. Oh, all the time talking with customers, you know, obviously I do at times, but for the most part, it's the work product that we provide and the ease of working with us and the success of working with us that our customers feel um, that's, that's the lifeblood of our business. So, um, you know, if we had a 
our own product or, or you know, hardware, or we sold cars or anything like that, you know, maybe I would think differently. Um, maybe I wouldn't, but certainly in the industries I've been in, um, our people are, are, are representing the brand, um, are out there talking with customers, talking with other employees, talking with prospects, talking with vendors. There's so many pieces of our, our um, supply chain to our customers that um, they need to show that they're excited and, and want to work here. And the customer can see that in the work product that's provided. So yeah, I would like to believe that's top down. That's coming from our CEO, Doug Alexander, and coming to our management team. And, and I think all of us do as much as we can to promote that. And you mentioned the key word, collaborative. What is your relationship uh, and interaction with the CEO, COO, board of directors, uh, any other executives like? It's, it's I, I believe it's great. I, I think it's um, constant. It's, you know, we have weekly scheduled meetings, um, but we have almost daily interactions. I think we, we've been fortunate um, that I think for the most part, our executive team and managers, have, you know, are in the office a couple of days a week. Most of our engineers and help desk and sales are, you know, either home or at customer sites, but I think it's helped us come in. It, it, we're in the same office. You end up you know, talking more, I think, than we did for those few months that most of us were home. Um, luckily, I, I think we, we got back to at least a few people in the office pretty quickly. Um, but, I, but I think that regular cadence is, is important. Um, I think you just be honest and open about whatever situation there was. Um, and, you know, same thing with our board. I remember getting the question, um, you know, March 20th or whatever it was, 2020 after COVID, the board asking, you know, how much cash do we have? You know, do the calculation, you know, June 1st. And that's based on nobody paying us and us not getting rid of any employees. So, I mean, that's, you know, you just got to give them tough information. Luckily, you know, things change, customers paid. I mean, but on the first day of things happening, um, you know, they're going to ask the tough questions and you got to give them the, the honest and accurate answer. And, and how are you using NetSuite to back? I mean, like still back then mm -hmm. when you were, you know, having to answer those tough, tough questions, but even today, as we move forward into kind of a, a different beast, how are you using NetSuite to really back your decisions and your discussions? I, I mean, I think it makes it so much easier. I mean, uh, to be honest, that question would have taken me a week prior to NetSuite um, to truly give an honest answer um, versus now I had my sales um, information in there. I had, you know, obviously my cash rec in there. We had our, our employee headcount, what it cost us per month. I mean, so, so much was in there and you could easily do more variable planning and analysis um, versus having to, you know, download information from probably five different sources um, three plus years ago to be able to answer those questions. So, you know, again, it, it just, we're using it daily. We're pushing our team to make sure they're updating it daily, if not weekly within their environment, whether it's sales or project management. Um, and, and just to be able to more, do more analyzing of data and certainly less entering of data in, in spreadsheets. Well, so to conclude this conversation, 
you have done so much as a C CFO and quite successfully, what is your advice for CFOs looking to be more successful in their roles? Yeah. I mean, I go back to some of the things I learned after the 08 crisis, you know, um, learn about the macro. I, I think it is important to, to understand what's going on. Um, in, at least in the business world from an economic perspective globally, uh, even if you think you just have a business in one town or one region, um, the impact of a global economy really does matter. We're so intertwined. So keeping up to speed and reading and listening about that. Um, I, I found networking extremely important. Um, getting out and talking to any vendor or area that your business utilizes, meaning uh, I'm out talking with um, people who know a lot about healthcare, people who know a lot about, you know, compliance and legal related issues that might be out there. Um, and again, making time um, to, to talk with them just to hear what they're seeing. Um, so when, when I'm going and giving a, a analysis, in my opinion on something, um, it's not just my opinion. It's not just my data. It's, it's data from you know, the largest insurance company in the world or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, that again, you're out talking with people working in these different industries, you know, real estate, certainly the amount of people I've talked to in the real estate space over the last two years, what are other companies doing? What should we be doing? Who's letting people back to work? Certainly on the HR side, same thing. What are you doing at your company? You know, it may be a company like ours, it may be a company in the same region as ours, whatever data I can get um, from them. And certainly, you know, banking, other financing, you know, private equity, venture capital, just talking with those types of companies to see what's out there. You know, it's very easy to say, but maybe now we have to say, you know, I used to say, get out of your office. Now maybe I need to say, get out of your home. Um, <laughs> but, you know, talk with people that um, know more than you on all the areas that impact your business to educate yourself. And then the, probably, I probably should have said first, but I'll end on this in this note, is talk to your team, you know, not just your CEO, not just other C-level executives, um, you know, talk to sales reps. What are they struggling with? What's working? What's not? You implement new process out there. How's it going? Talk to some of the people that answer the phones on our help desk, you know, specifically talking about focus technology, our engineers, you know, getting feedback from them, giving them channels to not just me, but management. Um, because we may think everything's fine and they may think it's a disaster or vice versa. We think, gee, I don't think this is going well. And then you talk to them. No, it's great. We've got a couple of things we need to, you know, uh, improve upon, but, you know, it's working well. So, you know, that's definitely important to get out and talk to really all these areas that impact your business, both internally and externally. That's great, Chris. And we, we didn't get to chat about it, but we do know that you are the co-chair of the um, CFO Leadership Council of the Boston, the Boston chapter. And we're going to drop your LinkedIn uh, profile link in the description of this podcast episode. So if anybody wants to connect with you to definitely make sure they're doing some of that networking um, beyond their, beyond their home, as you put it, but also, you know, beyond their business and, and into other industries um, to really be able to talk about some of this stuff that, that that's great. And I'll make sure again, that people are able to connect with you on that. And we just, we really appreciate all the insight that you provided us today. This has been an awesome conversation and we look forward to hearing more from you in the future. <laughs> well, if, if people want to, but I, I don't know, but I appreciate it. Kendall, <laughs> Megan, you guys are great. 
Um, thank you so much. Had a blast. Wow. Some really great stuff on this episode. Um, in particular, it may seem simple, but his nod to focusing on macroeconomics, looking beyond your specific industry or region and really educating yourself on what's happening at a national and global level is really important. A young person in finance right now might not have that mentality. And I think it's a really great point. Megan, what about you? I agree. And speaking of mentality, I, I really loved his emphasis on people in the business. Um, I think in times of economic volatility, particularly recessions, there can be this inclination to cut headcount a lot, but our research has shown that it actually can backfire and inhibit both recovery and success further down the line. Uh, instead, it seems to really be about building efficiency, implementing automation, and retaining your top talent, all of which he mentioned. Yeah, that was great. Um, so uh, a big, huge thank you to Chris Caprio for joining us on this episode. Like I mentioned in the podcast, if you want to reach out to Chris on LinkedIn, we've left a link in the description of this episode, along with some other articles that relate to what we discussed today. And I also want to thank you, Megan. Well, thank you, Kendall. I hope to be back again soon. It's always such a highlight of my day. I love that. And last, but certainly not least, I want to extend another thank you to our editing crew over at Lampstand. And as always, all of you for tuning in. If you want more episodes just like this one, make sure you subscribe to our channel and give us a rating and review. Thank you so much. And we'll talk soon. You just listened to the NetSuite podcast. Be sure to tune in every week with more NetSuite developments, stories, and insights into the benefits of one integrated system to help you run your business.